it's just been just uh, such a blessing to to be here with you all this weekend. And, um, you know, this weekend, just as I was praying about it, I just really felt like God God was going to do something here, just a, a wonderful, something good for each person here, and and me included. <laughs> I've been blessed. So, um, but, this, you know, this, this past weekend, we've been talking about how to be the kind of contagious church and congregation that we we learned about, we read about in, in Acts chapter 2, where God is seeing, you know, people feel loved and lives are being changed. More and more lives are being changed every day. And um, we looked yesterday in the morning about what it means to be a community of faith with that contagious faith, where we share our own God stories. We share our stories that help other people to also experience God's love for them. And then last night, we just talked about how each of us uh, we need to experience God's radical love for ourselves. And, and sometimes we need that. We need that touch from God. And, and that's why I love worship sometimes because as we're singing, you know how sometimes you just don't have the words. You just don't know what to say. And, and the words are there. And, and through the praise and worship, we, we share out what's in our hearts. You know, and sometimes I just listen and you share out what's in, in my heart that I can't even express. And, and God shares with us and God makes his love real to us, and then we can love others out of that. And, uh, and this morning, I want to talk about uh, what it means to be a faith community that's committed to selfless service, good deeds that point to a good God. And uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be good news for some of us here, and we talk about evangelism, reaching out, and, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not evangelist, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an introvert, um, I can't share my faith story in four minutes or less. I need 45. And so uh, there's a way to share the good news through acts of service, through acts of kindness and generosity and, and good deeds done in the name of Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So I'm going to just pray again just real quick with us, um, for us. And so, Lord God, we thank you for this, for this morning that we can gather and we can be reminded again that you our good God, that is who you are, that is who you are, and that we are loved by you, we're people loved by you, and that's who we are. So we thank you, God, that this morning we can remember that, and we can take joy in that, and we can be filled um, by that truth. So we thank you, we ask you to speak to us this morning um, as we go to your word again, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have any of you ever been helped by a stranger? Have any of you, um, you know, been on the receiving end of an act of random, a random act of kindness? Yeah, how many of you? Yes. Yes, it's cool, isn't it? It happened to me one day, um, I was really sick, and uh, I'm one of those people who doesn't like to go to the doctor. You know, by the time I go to the doctor, I'm almost better by then. <laughs> And so I thought, okay, I'm feeling really bad, so I'm going to um, finally, you know, drag myself over to the doctors. Of course, the doctor said, you, you know, you have a virus or whatever. There's nothing we can do. Go home and, you know, go back to bed. <laughs> Thank you very much. So then, uh, but, you know, it got me, gave me some medicine, so I dragged myself over um, to, to Rite Aid, and I was, and they filled my prescription, and while I was waiting there, I got sicker and sicker, and I felt nauseous, and I'm like, okay, I got to sit down, they have some chairs, you could sit down, and I'm, I was going to like, 
throw up, so I need to, I need to like, lay down. The chairs were super uncomfortable. It was one of those with the bars over, I mean, the, the armrests. So I said, forget it, and I'm just, I just have to lie down. And so then I lay down on the floor in Rite Aid. Just, I didn't, you know, at that point, you just don't care. So I'm laying on the floor, and I guess they filled my prescription, and they're calling my name, and I could not get up. And I'm like, I am so sick right now. And so I don't even know what happened, and I don't know if this was a customer or who this was, this lady. Next thing I know, these two people are lifting me up and saying, um, okay, uh, we're, we're going to take you home. Where do you live? Where do you live? And I'm like, I don't know. You know? So they, <laughs> they put me in their car, this lady, and I think the other was her daughter, like her grown daughter, and they put me in their car, and I'm thinking, I'm in this strange car with these strange people. I don't know where they're taking me. And I guess they got my wallet. I don't know what happened. So they took me to my condo, and I live on the second floor. So they were literally like carrying me up the stairs, and they got my keys. They opened the door, and they laid me on the couch, and I'm like, bye-bye, you know. And, then, and they left. And I, to this, I don't know who they were. I don't, you know, and I thought, I should, maybe I should go back to that right aid. And I'm, but, you know, like, oh, I'm the one who was lying on your floor, and I just, I just couldn't do it. So I, to this day, I don't know who they are. But I just thought to myself that random act of kindness. These people took me all the way home. They, they lifted me up, you know, and then I had to finally call um, somebody to help me go get my car, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but I'll never forget that. These two people who just took it upon themselves to pick me up and take me all the way home and put me, uh, put me on my bed. Um, we remember those things, don't we? Remember acts of kindness. Because often these are times where we are desperate, right? Because if I could phone a friend, I would have if I was in the right mind. But these are times where, where we are helpless. Sometimes we're hopeless. Sometimes we have no resources. And those are the times when the kindness of people come in and they help us when we can't help ourselves. I love this quote from Mark Twain, it says, kindness is a language that the deaf can hear and the blind can see. And yesterday I talked about people, they don't think highly of the church. Sometimes they don't like Christians. Sometimes they don't believe in God. Sometimes they don't know who, what the church is about. But people understand kindness, right? People understand generosity. People understand when you're helping them. So what does it mean to be people who share the good news through acts of selfless service? And why is that important? Uh, a number of years ago, our, our church read this book called The Hole in Our Gospel. Have you guys heard this book, The Hole in Our Gospel? It's, Richard, it's written by Richard Stearns, who is a president of World Vision, who is kind of in the Pacific Northwest in our area. But he writes this. He says, we are carriers of the gospel, the good news that was meant to change the world. When we committed ourselves to following Christ, we also committed to living our lives in such a way that a watching world could catch a glimpse of God's character, his love, his justice, and his mercy through our words, actions, and behaviors. God chose us to be his representatives. He called us to go out to proclaim the good news, to be the good news, and change the world. Right? So how do we do that? How do we do good deeds that point to a good God? Um, I wanted to look this morning at a familiar text in, in Luke chapter 10, the story about the Good Samaritan. And that's where the theme comes from, 
you know, go and do likewise. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I just love this story. So we start out in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and this is Jesus teaching. And it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, this is Jesus, answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have, um, you have answered, oh, this is what the lawyer said, You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Right? So you can imagine this, this uh, passage begins with this, you know, quite a religious person, a, a, a scholar or a lawyer, someone who knows the law, and this is the law of God. He comes to Jesus and he basically says, what do I need to do to please God, to live a righteous life before God? And Jesus says, well, love God and love your neighbor. And he's like, yeah, you know, I know that. You know, I could, I could have said that. You know, I need, I need something harder, you know, because I've already done all that, right? And so he says, well, well, what about this? Well, what, what is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And uh, so Jesus paints this picture for him, and it says here in verse 30, it says, In reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who's a temple worker, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is about two days' pay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse, reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Right? Many of us have heard this story before, and, and often people will call it the parable, or the story of the Good Samaritan. Right, and uh, I was in, in San Jose, and there's a hospital, Good Samaritan Hospital, uh, out there in San Jose. And when we hear, "Oh, he was a Good Samaritan," a Samaritan is like a good thing, right? It's it's a, it's a it's a positive connotation, but it wasn't in that time, right? In that time, uh, in Jesus's day, Samaritans were were um, kind of the people that you don't want to attach yourself to. They were descendants of of the Assyrian tribes, many of the uh, Assyrian nations. Um, who opposed God and who attacked Jerusalem and, and sent the people of, of Israel into captivity. And they were a violent people, and they resettled the area. And, and God told his people not to intermarry with them, but they did anyway. And so these were the descendants, kind of this mixed uh, ethnic group, and they were opposed to each other. And I was thinking about that. It, it would be like after World War II, you know, the Jews and, you know, our, our Jesus is talking to Jews and talking about, about, about the good German, you know, the good German. And it's that, that gut reaction of people who, who were, were hated, people who, who, who hated us, people who, who uh, hurt and, and tortured and killed our people. And yet Jesus makes this despised Samaritan the unlikely hero of the story. 
what? You know, Jesus always mixing it up here, okay? What is he trying to do there? Why did he do that? And I think he wanted to do that to open this man's eyes because sometimes we get content, right, with our good deeds. We, we think, hey, I, you know, I serve at the church and I'm a friendly person and, you know, I'm kind and generous to my friends, um, you know, and if people needed a dime, I'd probably give it to them or now a dollar. Um, but I think Jesus... Was, was mixing it up because he wanted this, this, uh, this teacher, this, this religious person, this, this righteous man to, to understand that, that loving God is about loving people, all kinds of people, people especially who weren't like you, people who, you didn't, who didn't agree with you. And it's not so much that you hated them, but sometimes they hate you. You know, they don't like you. They, they oppose you. They don't agree with you. They don't have the same values as you do. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this woman who, the woman who saved me in the right aid, and I think I remember, I think she was, I knew she was foreign. She was foreign-born because she had a heavy accent, so I think she was from the Middle East. She was probably Iranian or something. That's what I remember. I don't remember really much of it, but I remember thinking, who is this woman taking me to my house? And, and she was definitely a foreigner, and she was the one who, who, who helped me. How do we do good deeds that point to a good God? I think that Jesus was trying to show us that good deeds, especially when it's unexpected, especially when it's from someone who doesn't know you, from, someone, from an unexpected place, and for, for no reason other than generosity and kindness itself, those kinds of acts and what the Bible calls, often calls good deeds, those are the deeds that point to a good God. And God calls us to be people of good deeds. All through the Bible, you know, it's always talking about do good deeds, right? Um, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 14, and Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that may, they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. So how do we begin to do this? You know, how do we begin to, to go and do acts of service that point to God, that make God visible? And the first thing... I think is for us to ask ourselves three questions. And that's what I want to talk about. Three questions to ask ourselves. The first is this. What do you see? What do you see? In the story of the Good Samaritan, what did the priests and the Levites see when they passed this man that was on the side of the road who was bleeding and hurting? He was obviously uh, different than them. Um, this first person was a priest. He was a holy man. And this person was probably dirty. Is probably you know in the ditch somewhere. Maybe maybe the priest saw someone who who was in trouble, but maybe he was a you know he's a street person. Maybe he was part of a of some some gang of thieves, and you know he got his due. Maybe he thought, well, if I stop and help this person, maybe there are other unsafe people around. This is a bad neighborhood. And actually, the road down to Jericho, and I was able to go to Israel a number of years ago. But from Israel, you know, Jerusalem is, is on a high city. It's on the top of a, a mountain, right? That's why every, every time you read in the Bible, it's always go up to Jerusalem, even when you're north or south, doesn't matter. I just think, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, 
I'm north. So when I go down, but it's down because of elevation, right? Up to Jerusalem, down. And then there's Jericho, and Jericho is a city that's on the way to the King's Road. And so you actually have to go down this very uh, treacherous trail uh, to get to the bottom of the, the road that takes you um, kind of the King's Highway, kind of their, their freeway at that time. But this road, a lot of people had to go through it, and it was kind of this, this sketchy neighborhood, right? And so, but, there, but people had to go travel there. And there's all these different rocks and places that people could hide. That's where thieves were there because they could hide and then jump on people. So it wasn't a safe place. So, you know, it's like you're riding through this, you know, the hood, and then you see someone hurt, and you think, well, if I get out of my car, this is something that might happen to me, right? So he sees danger. Maybe he had places to go, you know, people to see, things to do, and, and he saw this man as an interruption. But the Samaritan, he saw someone who needed help. He saw a person a person who was valuable, who was hurting. And he took pity on him. And, and you know, it says that the priest and the Levi, in verse 31, it says they passed by the other side. They pa- so I'm thinking, okay, they were on the same side, and then they went away from this person, right? But here's the Samaritan. He, it says he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So not only did he see him from afar, he came close to where he was to see what was really going on. Somebody said to me um, last night, oh, you know, it's great you, you, you have these stories, you know. How do you know these stories? And I said, sometimes I know these stories because I ask people. You know, I said, what's, what's going on? How did you get here? And, you know, and, and, you know what, what did God do in your life? What's going on? You know, why are you in trouble? How, you know, what happened? And we have to get close, don't we, sometimes, to get to know the story. We see people that don't look like us, and it's easy just to ignore them. But when we get to know their stories, our lives are enriched. Um, We're often blessed and touched. So in order to see, we have to get up close and personal. We have a ministry at uh, Lighthouse called The Lord's Table, and that's actually not our ministry, but it's a, a ministry that st- was started um, a number of years ago um, by uh, a, a couple um, and, uh, named June and Dave Sparks, and it's a, a homeless feeding ministry, and it's under one of the freeways, and, and, and four nights a week, different people from different churches and different volunteer organizations, they go and they make food, and they make dinner for the homeless there. And we make dinner there once a month. Ours is just the, the third Tuesday of the month. We're there and we feed the homeless. But this ministry was started by this woman named June Sparks who, who married uh, Dave Sparks. And Dave used to be homeless. And so he, he always had a heart for this community that he was part of. And so they started feeding uh, people there. And um, a, a few years into that, this uh, this man named uh, Norm Abe, he wanted to go and check it out. And so his mom, Kay, said, you know, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go see what's going on over there myself. Be kind of curious. So they went there to check things out. And then Kay saw all the people who were homeless standing in line for this meal. And, you know, Seattle gets cold. And, and when we've been out there, it is, like, bitter cold. <laughs> I'm wearing my ski jackets, two of them. You know, and we're, we're feeding uh, this food to the homeless. And so she saw them, and her heart broke. And she said, no, this is, this is not right. And so she wanted to get involved, and she was 63 years old. 
And about four years after that, um, Dave Sparks became ill and passed away. So Kay officially took over this ministry, and she's still there today. She's 88 years old, and she's there four days a week feeding the homeless. Uh, a number of years ago, she sent me a letter, a uh, card to thank Lighthouse for our involvement. And it was a letter from, uh, it was a card from one of the homeless people that he sent to her. And this is what he said. He said, Kay, I was a meth addict for 10 years, living on the streets in my van wherever I could. Many times I was cold and hungry. Thank God for you. I will never be able to repay you for the many, many times you fed me a hot meal. Many times it was the only meal I got for the day. January 7th will be 22 months I have been clean off of all drugs. And I even quit smoking cigarettes. <laughs> for all the times you said you would pray for me, I believed you. And today I am answered prayer. I'm clean from drugs. I have a job. I rent my own place. Thank you, Kay, and thank you to all the people who help you. You've made a difference in my life. God bless you. So she sent that card to me so that we could be blessed as well. How do we discover the acts of kindness and selfless service that God um, has for us, that God has prepared for us to do? So we have to ask ourselves that question. What do you see? Maybe as you go around in your workplaces, as you go around in your neighborhoods, you know, as you go into the grocery store, what do you see? Sometimes we have to pause, right? Sometimes we have to walk slowly through our neighborhood to look around at what we see. Um, I have a friend who lives in, in this one neighborhood near our church, and, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, there's this, this woman, one of my neighbors, I guess she lost her husband, and she has all these kids, and so her, her yard was just overgrown with weeds. And he said, and then one day, the neighbor, he's, and he's pointing to me, he says, that guy who lives across the street is this uh, Mexican family. And I guess maybe he's a gardener or something. He started coming over and <laughs> mowing her lawn. So now she's at the worst neighborhood, now she, uh, worst lawn. Now she has the best-kept <laughs> lawn because her neighbor walks across the street and just started doing it. And I said, well, well, did they know each other? And he goes, I don't think so. But somehow he heard well, what happened to her. So he just started going, and now he takes care of her yard. What do you see? Sometimes we, we need to ask God, God, would you open my eyes to see people around me? Who is hurting? Who needs attention? And then the second question to ask, God, not just what do I see, but what can't I stand? What can't I stand? What is bothering me? about a situation? What, what keeps me up at night? What do I keep noticing? And maybe other people don't notice it, but, but I notice it. In verse 33, the Samaritan, it says that Samaritan took pity on the man. And, you know, and we think took pity. Okay, it's pity to him. No, this word means his insides just turned over like he felt ill, like he was so bothered. It's like, you know, this churning inside of his heart. Something just broke him. What is it that breaks our hearts? What is it that compels us to risk, you know, being in the hood, to risk reaching out, to risk rejection, to risk failure? What is it? It's something that we, we well, I can't leave him there. You know, someone has to feed them. You know, what is it for us? Will we allow God to break our hearts 
with the things that break his heart. God's been, God's been doing a work in my heart. Uh, about a, maybe about five years ago, I had a gathering with these um, Latino pastors. It was, a, it was a gathering between Asian American pastors and Latino pastors. And, and we're getting together and just talking about what are similar, you know, among our communities of faith and what's different and, and things like that. And, and I wasn't even going to go to it because I go, I have, n- I have no idea what's happening in the Latino community or Latino church community. But, you know, I was invited and said, Nancy, you have to come. There's some, some good things here. So I said, okay. So I went. And it was some, one of the most enriching gatherings I've ever been to. Um, there were some things that were so similar between, uh, you know, Asian people and Latino people, you know, in terms of uh, family things, in terms of food. Um, there were some differences, though, as well, in terms of education, you know, like, like one of the things that, that, that we do is when we feel somebody has an anointing or a call to be a pastor, you know, what do we, we send them to school, <laughs> you know? When they find somebody, they, a youth, they start them young, you know, 15, 16. They, they, bring, they bring that young person over to the pastor, and they say, Pastor, Pastor, he's got the anointing. He's got the anointing. And the pastor goes, okay. And he drags his kid over to every outreach he has, and he preaches, and he gets a kid to preach. I mean, it's really kind of a cool thing. So it was just a, a, such an enriching time. But the number one issue that was on their hearts for their people, you know what it was? Immigration. Immigration issues everywhere. Every person, every pastor said immigration was the number one thing affecting all their people because a lot of their people were undocumented. A lot of their people were, were undocumented and they weren't educated, right? And a lot of them were working on those kinds of jobs that you don't need, need you know, documentation for, housekeeping, gardener, construction, things like that. And, and he said, you know, our system is broken, and people are here for years, and they are the most law-abiding people you will ever meet. They pay their taxes. They, they obey every rule. And I'm thinking, how can they pay their taxes? Well, because some of them are using fake Social Security numbers, right? They get these jobs. But they are so afraid to step out of line, they won't even speed. Because the minute they get a black mark, they're out, right? They pay every tax even though they'll never reap any benefits from Social Security, from uh, a disability, from anything like that. And I'm not trying to be political here, but it opened my eyes to a group of people that I just didn't see. I, it's not that I didn't care about them. I didn't even see them. I didn't know them. And then I did the demographics and where we live in our area, and there are 20% Hispanic people in our neighborhood where our church is. And I learned statistically that probably at least 50% of those people have at least one family member or more who's undocumented. And I don't know. I just didn't think about it after a while. And then, then later on, this one woman came to speak at our church about, um, about immigration, wanted to learn about it. And she was from Chile. Um, and, and she became a friend of mine. And, and she started talking about a ministry that she had at the Northwest Detention Center. And this is a prison or prison-like facility for undocumented people. So if they're caught or they, you know, get a speeding ticket pulled over and they find out that they're undocumented, they get put into this place and it's like a jail. Except it's a jail for people who haven't really committed any other crime except they didn't have the right papers. But what I did, what, what I found out was that the people in this, this facility um, were there for years, year, like three to five years. And I'm thinking, why are they there for that long? 
And that's because nobody cares about them, right? They can't speak English. Um, and I found out that those detention centers are for profit. They get paid per bed per person. So the people, they don't, they don't care about these people getting out of the detention center. It's because they get paid per body per bed. And I just started to learn all these things, and it started to bother me. It started to bother me that there's, we have a broken justice system. And so I started to learn about it. And the more I read and the more I learned and the more you know, I went to these different uh, seminars, the more it started to bother me. And I don't know what I'm going to do with that, honestly. I'm still kind of in my journey. But uh, my friend Kote, she said, hey, we, we're going to go down to the detention center. Would you like to come? So I said, okay. I, I got to go. I got to get closer. So I asked a bunch of people at our church who I knew who had a heart uh, for justice and who had a heart for compassion. And I got seven of us, and we went down to the detention center. And while we were preparing, I realized, okay, do these people speak English? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, seven years of Spanish. Seven years, God is going to use my seven years of Spanish. And so, um, so we got some of our people who do speak Spanish. We have some Spanish immersion uh, uh, programs in, in our area. So we went down, and most of the women that we met were in this one pod, this one prison. And it was just like in the movies, you know. Have anybody been to prisons here? Yeah, yeah, I know uh, uh, Calvin goes to clean teeth before there. But yeah, so people are, you know, in their orange jumpsuits, and you have to wait in line, you know. They take your cell phone and everything, and then you're at the window with the phone, you know, talking to them through the phone um, in, in, the, in the glass uh, uh, rooms there. And so uh, we just got to, we just went just to hear their stories, you know. And I, when we were preparing to go, I talked to Koti, and I said, well, Koti, what, what are we going to do there? Because, you know, what am I going to say? And she goes, you're just going to look at them. You're going to nod your head. And you're going to say, I see you. I understand. I am so sorry. I will pray for you. I care about you. That's what you're going to do. So I said, okay, I, I can do that. <laughs> Um, and so uh, that's what we did. And I got to hear their stories of how they got there and how they were away. This one woman that we met was away from her kids for five months. She didn't know when she was going to get out, and she didn't even have money to call them. Um, so just to know who the people are. And I don't, like I said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've gone to different seminars about how do we, come safe how do we become a safe place, even as a church, for people who are undocumented, where they can find help, they can find resources without being judged. But, but what, what breaks your heart? What can't you stand? What kind of burden is God putting in your heart? If God has something there, ask him, God, what do you want me to do with that? Do I need to go closer? Do I need to, to, to meet some people? Do I need to meet some families? Do I need to hear their stories? What is it? And then we have to ask this third question, well, what's in my hand? What's in my hand? What can I do about it, God? I, I was reading this passage here in verse 34 about the Samaritan. It says, the Samaritan then bandaged this man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine. It says, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn to take, to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So I was reading the story, and I was thinking to myself, okay, he's, you know, obviously riding a donkey, you know, he's a person of means, he has, you know, two days wages just so he can pull out, and he tells the innkeeper, you know, I'll pay whatever else this person incurs. So he's a person of means, some means, but I thought, well, where did he get the bandages? 
You know, where do you get the oil and the wine? I mean, was that his lunch? You know, uh, was he a physician? Uh, was he a pharmacist? Was he an innkeeper? Um, that he had stuff in, you know, back of his camel? I don't know. What, like, you know, what, what was going on here? But whatever it was, he had it, right? It was in his hand. He saw this person. And he goes, wait, wait, I got bandages. I have something. I have something that you can, I, have, I can help, right? It's something he already had. And sometimes we go to places and we think, God, what can I do about, you know, global poverty? What can I do about the homeless? What can I do about immigration? I don't speak Spanish. What can I do? You know, we, we look at what we don't have. I think God says, well, what you got? What's in your hand? What ability do you have? You know, something that we, and there's people that, that God's not going to call us to meet that need. I remember when I was in, in ministry and I was taking this counseling class and, and they were teaching us about, you know, people who have been abused, people who have, who are alcoholics, people, you know, who, who've been, you know, are struggling with severe depression, all these things. And I went up to my, uh, my professor and I said, I don't know. I mean, you know, if somebody came to me and, and said that, you know, we had, you had to role play, you know, so we had to role play. Like, okay, you pull out the hat. Okay, I am a father who, you know, uh, you know, my son is, you know, in, in drugs and, you know, go. <laughs> and then, you know, which I hate drama role playing, but this is what we had to do. We had to put ourselves in that person's position. Uh, situation, and I said to my uh, professor, and I said, you know, what are, what am I going to do when people come to me, and they have these severe uh, traumas, or they're struggling with with uh, uh, um, you know substance abuse or or pornography or or whatever it is, and and what if I can't relate to them, and I you know how am I going to help them? And he said these words that were so encouraging to me. He said, Nancy, those people. They're not going to come to you. I said, what? <laughs> Just, they're, they're not going to come to you because they're going to know you can't help them. You know? You're gonna, the people are going to come to you are the people that know that you can help them. They're going to go to the other people. Not that you have to experience everything yourself, which you don't, but they will find you. God will, God will send you to the people that you can help. Don't worry about the people you can't. They, they're, God's going to send them to other people, okay? And so who does God send to me? God sends to me people who are orphans. God sends to me people who are, are single and, and, and are longing to be married. God sends me people who, who don't have kids. God sends me people who, who, who have lost loved ones and who, who have estranged um, uh, relationships, right? God sends me those people because... I get it. I get it. So what is in our hands? There's a woman that I, I teach a class at our church called the Shape Class. Have you heard of that? It's a Shape Class. It's just like, uh, it's taken from Rick Warren's uh, church, and it's a, a, like a spiritual gifts uh, class. But it, it, you find out, like, how you're wired. So Shape stands for spiritual gifts, heart, you know, or passion, abilities, personality, and experiences. So you kind of look at your life and what you've been through and who you are and how you, how you work, and, and you say, well, well, what has God given me? How has God wired me to serve him? How, what kind of gifts do I have 
you know, to, that I can use for, for the sake of God's kingdom. Some people have administrative gifts, and some people have teaching gifts. Some people have gifts of, of, of compassion. And so I had this, this uh, class, and this woman, I remember, uh, came up to me afterwards, and she goes, Nancy, you know, after hearing all, the, all these other people, gifts they have and, and their passions and, you know, their, their abilities and, and, and their personalities, and she goes, I, I don't have any of those talents. I don't know what I can do. And, and I'm an introvert. I'm a high introvert. And I don't have a lot of time. In fact, I'm taking care of my, my elderly uh, mom. And on the, I work full time. And on weekends, I take her to her hospital. And I, I don't really have a lot of time. But I want to do something to serve God. So I said, well, I don't know. What, what do you like to do? What, do you do anything for fun? She goes, well, I don't have a lot of time. But, but I do knit. You know, and, and so sometimes I take my mom to the hospital, and I sit there, and I have to wait for her, so I knit. And I said, well, you know, there's a knitting club at our church. She goes, really? I go, oh, yeah, there's a knitting group, of, uh, you know, a group of women that sit and knit on Saturdays, and they knit the little caps for, um, for newborns of moms, you know, that, that are, um, you know, at the uh, halfway houses or things like that. And when they have these kids... Uh, these babies, they knit these little caps so they can have something to take home with them for their child. So she goes, oh, well, I could do that. So she went into this group, and, you know, she met all these women. She started knitting these things. And then meanwhile, her daughter um, decided to start a ministry called New Name. And it was a ministry that reaches out to women in the sex industry. And, and she said, Mom, can you make gifts for, you know, my clients? So she said, Sure. So this woman, Estelle, started gathering all her uh, yarn, and she says, I have the gift of shopping. I found out the gift of shopping, and I find all these yarn. You know how expensive yarn is? I find all this yarn for cheap, and I buy all these things, and God just finds me. I go to sales, and I get all this yarn, sometimes for free, you know, eBay and things like that. And I use these to, to make these little caps for people. And then after a while, she started to get into beading. Because she said, I found out you know, people like crafts. So I started making earrings like these, beading. Same thing, gift of shopping, found all these beads. And then she said, then I, I found out that, you know, they're looking for these uh, activities for these women at these halfway houses that we knit the caps for. And I found that there's a place here at Union Gospel Mission. And so I started going there now. And I teach these women how to make jewelry. You know, and they make jewelry, and they all, you know, every time we meet, they, they, they take, take a piece of jewelry home with them. And she says, it's been just fun. I'm so busy now. I'm having so much fun. And I thought, wow, and so isn't that amazing that, look, God has taken you, someone who said, I have no talents, and look at this amazing ministry you had. And I said, but tell me about this, this halfway house that you go to, this women's shelter. How, how did that come about? You know, I mean, that's just amazing. Were you, did you always have a heart? to go into the women's shelter. And she said, well, Nancy, don't, don't you know my story? I said, no. She goes, oh, well, you know, before I married Rob, that was her husband, she goes, oh, before I married Rob, I, I was a single mom. Um, my husband was alcoholic and he was abusive, and I took my kids one day and ran away. And I was just barely hanging in there, trying to take care of my two kids. Some days I was on the streets, but most of the times I found some shelters. And she said, you know, I was this close. To, I was thinking about maybe I should. There's prostitution, way, way, way to make money. She goes, I was this close to being just like these women. This could have been me. Easily could have been me, but for the grace of God. And I thought, oh, oh, 
that was in her hand, right? Her own pain, her own trials, that's what God used to help her to discover this ministry that she had. God uses everything. What's in your hand? Is it a gift that you have, a talent? Is it a pain or a struggle that God has brought you through? God uses everything, and he gives us a way to minister to others, to good, do good deeds to others in his name in such a way that we point to a good God. Ask God, God, what's in my hand? What have you given me? And when you have that, offer it to God and see what he will do. And then do this last thing. Explain the hope that you have in Christ. When people are ministered by you, always remember, explain the, the hope that you have in Christ. First Peter 3 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, there are people who do good deeds all the time. Not always in the name of the Lord, but I think God blesses it. But how much more those of us who can testify to the goodness of God in our lives. I'm going to close with this, this last story, and, and it's taken from this book, The Hole in Our Gospel, by Richard Stearns. And he writes about this man, and I, I remember this story because Richard Stearns went to Cambodia, and I remember reading this after we had been. And, and he says he met this man named Roth, Roth, who's, who pastors a small church of 85 members, or 83 members, and that he started a few years ago. And so Richard Stearns asked this pastor Roth um, uh, about his life now living in this country in Cambodia, which is 90% Buddhist, right, and how he came to be a Christian. And this is what Pastor Roth said. He said, five years ago, World Vision came to our community, came to our village, and began to work. And I was suspicious of these outsiders and was convinced that they had their own hidden agenda. You see, in Cambodia, since the genocide by the Khmer Rouge, we are always distrustful of strangers. But these people from World Vision, um, also these are Cambodian World Vision people, they set up a TB clinic to care for those suffering from TB tuberculosis. They improved the schools our children attended. They taught better agricultural methods to the farmers to improve our yields. But I was still suspicious and even angry, convinced they were up to no good. Why would these strangers help us, I thought. One day, I decided to confront them, and I went to the World Vision leader and demanded to know why they were here. His answer took me by surprise. He said, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are here to show you that God loves you. And I said in response, who is this Jesus that you talk about? The man uh, went and got me the Bible that you see here today, and he was holding it up. He said, that night I went home and I read the book of Genesis. I was truly amazed because in Genesis, I met the God I wondered about all my life. I met here the God who created heaven and earth, maker of the universe. So the next day, I ran back and I told him what I had read, but said that I still did not know who this Jesus was that he talks about. So he told me he would take me to the city to meet with a Christian pastor who had explained these things to me. 
So some weeks later, he took me and my friend to meet the pastor, and he opened the Bible and read to us many passages about Jesus and explained the good news of salvation. And at the end, he asked me if we, he asked us both if we wanted to become disciples of Jesus and commit our lives to him. And we both said yes, and that day committed to following Christ as our Savior. Then Richard Stearns said to him, well, pastor, that is a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. So tell me, tell me about these 83 people who worship at our church. How did they come to follow Jesus? And Pastor Ross said, well, I was so excited to learn about Jesus that I had to share this good news with everyone I knew. And these 83, they are my little flock now. <laughs> so he shared with eight, these 83 people who had come to faith because God had changed his life. And that was his flock, who he was now shepherding. These stories, I love them, don't you? Because they encourage us that these are ordinary people with ordinary struggles, but have met an extraordinary God. And he's the same God we have. And so this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team uh, to come up and play for us. And, and as they do this first song uh, of Reflection Time, I'd, I'd like to encourage you um, to just listen to the voice of God, how he might be speaking to you. So would you just uh, pray with me? Lord God, once again, Lord, we acknowledge that you are a good God. That's who you are. And we are loved by you. That's who we are. And Lord, you, you pour out your spirit into us. You stir our hearts. You open our eyes to see what you see. To see those around us who need you to see those around us who are hurting, to see through the mountains and the trees to places on the other side of the world, and to see people there who are longing for you, who are desperate for you, who do not yet know that you're real and that you're good and that you want to bless them that you want them to know your love for them, that you want to transform them and bless them so that you can make them a blessing to others. So Lord, as this, in this time, Lord, will you speak to us? Give us your eyes to see. Break our hearts for the, with the things that break your heart. Show us what you've already given us. Lord, we bring, we bring everything that we have, the good, the bad, the hard, the struggles, and the joys, and the hope. Lord, we bring them all, and we lay it at your feet, God. We lay our lives before you, God. Would you, would you use us? Would you speak to us? Would you bless us and make us a blessing? In Jesus' name. 